Welcome. I'm Uri. And I'm Rifki. And you're listening to Talking Talkless, the podcast where we talk about Jewish life and life in general. We are here in the Drive-In Productions studio. We are sponsored once again by Drive-In Productions, New York's premier film production studio. Rifki, we are at the tail end of Navi Doggy. It has been an incredible month for the Talking Talkless podcast. Would you agree with that? Our, our, our listenership has quadrupled, maybe more. At least. <laughs> I, and we're getting tons of emails and comments and feedback. Yeah, shout out. Thank you to all of you who have sent us such interesting and constructive feedback at TalkingTalklessPodcast at gmail.com. Please keep it coming. We love hearing from you. What's in store? What's next for Talking Talkless now that we've gotten a month under our belts? Oh my God, I can only imagine December is going to be even more riveting. Please stay tuned, everyone. What's the nickname for December? I don't remember. Decky Doggy? I'm not sure if we. I'm not sure if there is one. Oh, okay. Don't worry. I'm sure you're all on the edge of your seat. I'm we will ex- let you know. Yeah, I just really can't wait till Augie Doggy because that's really the one that started it all. Anyway, why don't we get into our first topic? Perfect. Congress is currently debating a huge overhaul of the tax system that we have here in America. They want to simplify the current tax brackets, change or eliminate certain deductions, and more. One of the taxes currently being discussed and debated is the estate tax, or as Trump and others have called it, the death tax, which is a 40% tax on inherited properties, passing from generation to generation. This tax only applies to the estate of the wealthiest of Americans, estates worth over $5.5 million, and $11 million for a married couple. Let me repeat that. Only people who are worth over $5.5 million have to think about this tax. The Republicans in Congress propose doubling the exemption, meaning that this tax would only apply to those who are worth over $11 million. And Republicans in the House have an additional provision. They want it repealed completely after 2024. House Speaker Paul Ryan makes two arguments for the repeal of this tax. And I quote here. First of all, it's a fairness argument. Let me just actually step outside the quote to explain what that means. That By that, when he talks about fairness, he means that people are being double taxed. The first time they're being taxed on this money during their lifetime, and then on a second time... When they earn it. Right, exactly. And then on a second time on their estate after their death. Okay, back into the quote. Second of all, it's a jobs argument. You actually create jobs by getting rid of this death tax because you know what kills one family business from passing their business onto the next generation? The estate tax. Democrats vehemently argue against this position, and they say that eliminating the estate tax would just be a gift to the mega-rich. So, Uri, let's talk about this. Should we eliminate the estate tax? Keep it? Are the Republicans right? Is this tax completely immoral? Are the Democrats right? Are we right to tax the mega-rich for that money? For their money? What do you think? So, I've been thinking about this topic for the last couple of days. You know, believe it or not, we do a minimal amount of preparation before we actually sit down and uh, share our knowledge with you wonderful You're people. Um, and so in the research that I did, I, I, I did find that the revenue that the government gets from the estate tax comes out to less than 1% of the total revenue the government takes in in the year. So it's really not that significant when you when you look at it and You're that's definitely it. right that the estate tax generates less than 1% of the federal revenue for um, for the year. But I also do want to add that even though that's true, just this amount of revenue would cover the FDA, the CDC, the Environmental Protection Agency combined. So even though you're right that it's a very low percentage, but this money, right? If we're if we're talking, you know, well, you could just say cents, it's a lot money of money. It's, it's many yeah, billions. It of is dollars. meaningful. Yeah, that's the. I think that's yeah. The it's way over two hundred billion dollars. Okay. I think the idea of the question of 
is passing huge amounts of wealth from one generation to the next generation consistent with the values that we have as Americans? I think that's really the question. And I think I feel very comfortable not only saying no, that is not consistent with our value, but also saying that this isn't me making that argument in a vacuum, right? Um, Modern estate tax was just established, you know, about less than 20 years ago, but it has its roots. Teddy Roosevelt in 1906 is the first quote that I found talking specifically about this, talking about how unfair it is for wealth to continue from generation to generation, arguing that wealthy people should have their wealth broken up a little bit by taxing lifetime gifts and death time bequests. Then in the 30s, we have the same argument from FDR that inherited economic power is inconsistent with the ideals of this generation. All right. Well, I guess maybe the Roosevelt family had some sort of thing about taxes. They really paying them and yeah but um i do think people who have more money have an obligation to give more of it back to the government for the sake of the country and everybody else but once you start talking about fair once you start talking about like you know the obama clip that we played last week about you didn't build that um you know i think it to me it's taken too far and it's not even about whether or not i think those taxes should be paid what bothers me more is the way it's justified like just for example not to veer too far off of the state tax but i just in you know the republican tax bill that's they're trying to push through now i i don't remember if i where i read this or heard this but somebody you know on the left was saying this is if this past this is going to be the most massive redistribution of wealth from the poor to the rich that we've had in however many decades and like that kind of threw me off because you could say the tax cut would be wrong you could say that the those taxes are the right thing for the for them to be paid to the government or whatever but like to call this a redistribution of wealth from the poor to the wealthy when what you're actually what would actually happen is the rich people would just be keeping more of their money you're not redistributing it you're just not taking it away from them even if you say taking it away is the right thing to do what it basically implies is that everything that you earn and make the government really has first dibs on it and anything they let you keep they're giving you a gift. They're out of the kindness of their heart. They're letting you keep your 60%, your 55%, whatever it is. To, be, to get back on track here, is your point just that this tax is only going to affect the super rich and they can afford to lose that money? There's other people who need it a lot more than them. And therefore, this is one way of getting at some of that money? Or is it something special about the estate tax, the concept of like someone's estate should not be passed down to the next generation because they don't deserve it. All of the above. All of the above. I'm I'm very comfortable making all of these arguments. First of all, right, the question of sort of um, what can be done with this money to help people who actually need that money is so easy to answer, right? If we take that money, even though it's true that it's such a low percentage of the, of the federal budget, the federal revenue, the administration could make the choice if they want to, to give that money as tax breaks, right? Okay. That would be a $10,000 tax break for almost 27 million people over the next decade. If you're using the argument that there are super rich people who have all this money and there's all these programs and poor people who really need it, by that logic, 
the estate tax can take whatever it is, 40% from the estate. 40% of everything over 5.5, right? So let's do that math. That means if you have $6 million, you're paying 40% of the 500,000, which means you keep 5.8. Those people are still going to be super rich. And now we could just come up with a new kind of tax to tax them again on that money because they're still super rich and there's still people that are really poor and all these programs. Like if that's the only justification. I'm happy to do that. No, I mean, honestly, of course that's true, right? Of course you, the question, is how far do you take it, right? Just practically speaking, it is absolutely true that people who have a lot of money and ha- are having that money passed down to them through an estate, yes, to a certain extent, I'm sure they work hard. I'm not doubting them as amazing people who have earned every cent of their parents' money. Okay, fine. But to say that these people should be getting $50 million, $50 billion, whatever it is, because their parents were amazingly wealthy people and everyone else who lives in the same country as them, right, should not be getting any benefit there. And the federal revenue is going to be hurt by repealing this estate tax. To me, right. I don't even understand the question. Well, it's going to be hurt because it's already in there, but that doesn't justify its existence just because it's already there. I, I don't know how much we're really arguing uh, tachlis, um because... Again, like I said, I don't really have a problem with the estate tax. It seems reasonable. It seems like the people who are eligible to pay for it can definitely afford it. Okay, we can wrap this up. Well, here's my second question, (laughs) though. Are you a socialist? Wow. I don't know. Do you you self-identify as a socialist? I'm really just curious. I I never asked you that outright. Identity is such a hard question. But you get to choose your your self-identity. That's the beauty of it. I don't know that I identify as a socialist. Okay. I, there, I definitely feel like I have socialist leanings. I definitely feel like I have capitalist leanings. Hmm. I, I, I think the world is complicated. I don't know. Am I a socialist? <laughs> but why? why? What, what are you asking? Because I, I think that just gets to the heart of how one approaches these kind of things. I think a socialist, a Bernie Sanders type, would say rich people are, first of all, the enemy, which I think is a very dangerous game to play, to paint the one percenters as the enemy, where it's like we're in a culture where it's like you can't denigrate or speak badly of any minority except for the minority of rich people if they're one percenters by definition they're a minority but they're fair game to well, demonize let's just talk about the word minority well, for a second the, the idea I of a minority is about power yes. and those who have power and those who don't but i think human nature likes to find i agree sc- that we shouldn't denigrate human anyone, nature likes but... to find scapegoats and say all our problems are because of this group so yeah, it could absolutely. be the jews it i'm could not be, disagreeing yeah, that that's it could be the rich people i mean the rich people oh, are jews more problems. oh, oh no. i was not gonna go there <laughs> When one day, God willing, I have my $5.5 million estate, I will feel more comfortable giving that money to the government if the government says, hey, Uri, you did an awesome job. Your millions that you earned podcasting, like, <laughs> you, they, you'll pat you on the back. Looking you, for sponsorships, by the yeah. way, if anyone... Uh... <laughs> you, you really did a great job. You earned that money. You built that business. You built it. Not that you didn't build it. You did build it, but... There's all these people and programs that we really want to do and, you know, we want to, you know, not, it's not really a choice. If it's a tax, then you have to do it. But meaning instead of framing it as these are bad people who didn't earn their money, frame it as opportunity to help out. Why can't it be somewhere in between? It, like you're it can. right that practically no, it can. speaking. I, that's, I'm just telling you what bothered me about the Bernie Sanders saying. and other things like that, that, that you didn't build a camp uh, speech, not to keep harping on that. But I'm just saying when that is the intonation that it takes, that's when I push back a little bit, even though, like I said, I don't really have a problem with this tax. I just have more of a problem with the way it's framed. 
Okay, I definitely understand what you're saying. It sounds like we're all on the same page that the estate tax is a good thing. Um, if anything, we should probably raise it. One, two, three, four. One, two. Let me tell you how it will be. There's one for you, 19 for me. For our next discussion, the Me Too phenomenon, movement, whatever you want to call it, has been exploding. And it's going into all kinds of areas and industries and politics and entertainment. And it seems like every day there are more names being added to the list. There obviously need to be consequences. So if it means losing their job, losing their position, fine. The question I want to get into is something along the lines of separating the art from the artist. You know, a person who has created something, who has contributed something to the world, to our society, and then later comes out as uh, an assaulter, a molester, whatever it is. You know, hitting closer to home on the Jewish front, you have uh, Shlomo Karlbach. His, his music really permeates our entire Jewish culture, but there are also very specific and credible allegations about him when it comes to improper conduct, specifically in relation to women that he encountered along the way. So Rifki, what do you what do you think about this? Where do we draw the line? Are different industries held to different standards as, as far as separating the person from their work? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I actually think the easiest one for me to to think about is something like Shlomo Karbach. Shlomo Karbach to me is a no-brainer. Um, when you have someone who is not only involved in the creation of art, but is someone who is involved in the creation of art that is meant to be religious or spiritual, help people connect to God, to me, there can be no such thing when the person is of such character. When Shlomo Karbach started touching women inappropriately and against their will, there could be no question at that point whether you could listen to his music. I feel very comfortable saying that for myself. If I were sitting in a shul, the truth is I'm not a big music person, so I don't actually know the difference. But if I were sitting in a shul and the chazan stood up and said, we're going to be doing Shlomo Karbach songs tonight, I would walk out of the shul. There is no place for that. To say one more thing, if Shlomo Karbach were alive and these allegations came out and Shlomo Karbach said, I have a huge problem, I regret it completely, and he did actual complete chuba, and we could talk we could talk more about what that chuba would look like, then maybe it would be a different thing. Well, the chuva or repentance uh, issue that you're bringing up, I think is sort of its own thing. And that's also very interesting because, you know, let's say he, he if he wrote the songs at the time he was doing this, the song kind of emanated from this improper place. And then later he did chuba. Does that like retroactively change the essence of the song? Like, I mean, I don't want to get, I also want to just say, I, to be honest, I don't know the details of these allegations. And so I don't feel you comfortable. Mean the yeah. So I don't feel comfortable just indicting him, but like we're having this conversation under right. the assumption that like whatever it was, let's just say for the sake of this conversation that it was inappropriate. And now how do we deal with it? I just wanted right. to, put, to put that out there. I mean, we actually do have a lot of tunes in our liturgy, in our prayers that come from non-Jewish sources that come from whatever it is, Polish folk songs, you know, 
who wrote that Polish drinking song? Probably some Cossack who was, after he wrote the song, went out and slaughtered some Jews and raped some women. Probably feels like a strong term. But I mean, um... <laughs> possibly. Whatever it is. Most you know, likely. Mo- okay. Okay. Most likely, okay. Very likely. You know, the point is, you know, are we going to look back and do we have to now, you know, investigate and do research on where Right. Well, that's a different from? question. Do we have the responsibility to do that? Or do I have the responsibility to look into every Or you're saying just because we, in this shul. case, we right. happen to know that, Well, the argument about Shlomo Karbach, which is an argument that you can also, you know, continue with Kevin Spacey and with all these others, is that when a Shlomo Karbach victim is in shul, or when a Shlomo Karbach victim is looking for Jewish music on YouTube or is just, you know, in any sort of Jewish event and those songs it's come like a up. For yeah, them. Exactly. They, they feel I that victimhood that. over and over. So I do hear that and I do sympathize with that. But w- what I wanted to say and get at was my take on art is that when somebody creates a piece of art, whether that's a song, whether that's a movie or a book, they're sort of putting it out into the world. It's not really theirs anymore. It's now everybody's and it it does it is always going to be connected to the person who created it but it also has a life of its own and it exists in its own world and has its own inherent value that is completely disconnected from where it came from and I think I think that's actually one of the beautiful things and one of the amazing things about art. Right. I used to love Pink Floyd. This is a great example actually. I in high school I was really into Pink Floyd. Now with the whole Roger Waters thing and how you know he, he has this obsession with with Israel and BDS like I literally just don't enjoy the music. Like I'm driving in the car it's just my, me by myself and a song comes on the radio, I will change the channel because I'm not interested in listening to that. So like if a if an individual is so disgusted with uh, Shomel Karbach or a different artist and, and just can't like Woody Allen, nobody's forcing them to watch the movies. Obviously, but I think it's more interesting to talk about people who really do love that music, really do love those movies, and do feel that emotional connection, but feel conflicted morally whether or not it's okay to sing that song to watch that so it's movie interesting. john green actually has a similar argument not in it was it was made years ago right it wasn't particularly about this art and artist thing but he does make this argument do you know who john green is sorry no. uh he's a <laughs> young adult author um he wrote the fault in our stars which came out a few years ago um he recently just came out with a new book turtles all the way down and he makes an argument that art as soon as he writes a book and sends it out into the world. He says people will send him emails being like, oh, did when you wrote that she mm. was troubled with her, did you mean blah, blah, blah? And he said his response to them is, it's whatever you want it to be. I love be. that. Yeah. Right? You, you get to make that choice. I get to make the choice about what The Great Gatsby means. It doesn't matter that what f scott fitzgerald right had in exactly mind. Yeah. so i'm not I, I to a certain extent i agree to a certain extent i disagree the point at which this hits a crossroads though is when you have something like a woody allen or when you have a louis ck when these people who are artists are not only so tied to their art but that their art in a lot of ways mirrors their own right issues. it's almost like the next level of right this. if i own a chain of movie theaters i should say look we are not showing Woody Allen films anymore, right? Maybe Woody Allen films is an extreme example. I don't think it is, but I can I can imagine the other right, side. Well, then how far do you take ta- how far do you take that though? Do you you take his you take the books off the shelves? You take the movies I out of take the them take them off Netflix and well, look, that's, that gets that's into who censorship, I am, right? I know it's not censorship, but you don't arrest someone who has a copy of it, right? Like I'm not against the well, copy of it. It reminds but I'm me of saying, uh, burning the Beatles records in the '60s because John said the Beatles were bigger than Jesus. I mean, burning feels like a very extreme thing to do. But the idea of saying we as a society stand for something, this is 
totally antithetical to that. We as a society say that we're against um, molestation. But, you know, this guy made a hilarious movie, so, like, we have to be a little bit lax about that. We take a stand. We make a choice. Right. So I know that I'm a little bit naive, and I know that I'm a little bit, you know, I know that that's part of who I am. But to me, I, I... Right. So Sometimes what, there's right, and you do what's right. Woody Allen is still making movies. Um, he makes a movie every year. Yeah. So I, I see it as a much more pressing thing. Like, how are people not up in arms? Why, how does he get A-list yeah. celebrities and Recently, actors every actually, single year? I don't remember year. who it was. One of the celebrities who started one of his past films actually just came out with a statement saying that she regretted really? it. I actually saw, this could be a Did You Read It uh, segment. <laughs> Did you read the New York Times? Yes. New York Observer? Yes. Washington Post? Yes. Wall Street Journal? Of course I read it. Did you read that steampunk article in Boingway? I did not like the end of it. Okay, I read I read a really hilarious article. Um, it was either I think it was the New Yorker or maybe it was the Atlantic. The Atlantic um, about why Woody Allen movies keep happening and why he keeps getting A list uh, stars. And it had to do it, the title was something about Woody Allen's incredible laziness. And basically, like his movies are so quick and so lazy. Like they do like one take for a lot of the scenes. So for these stars, it's a very low uh, investment for them. It's not even about the paycheck. It's sort of like the prestige of like, they worked with these other stars. They worked with Woody Allen. It puts their name on the map. Um, and it's just very easy because of his style, which is apparently the laziest style in all of uh, Hollywood. Yeah. So yeah. So if you're going to talk about um, bringing this to the forefront in order to prevent people who shouldn't be uh, out there creating to just prevent them from creating that's one thing but when you're gonna go back into their you know so why do work, you stop listening to pink floyd music why don't you just so what say, i was saying about that new music i'm not gonna listen what I was to saying, it anymore because that was my personal choice like but i'm you, personally if i walk around i'm not trying like, to stop I'm listening to pink floyd constantly you well, don't think there's something wrong with that or you don't think like oh like, mm, i'm not if so you comfortable said with that? if you said um i have a problem with roger waters but i still like the pink floyd music I would understand that and I would accept that. And I'm just saying I personally can't listen to it because I'm I personally... I'm too judgmental for this world. <laughs> it's a big issue. Mm. Naive, judgmental, Yeah, we can get socialist. into that next week. <laughs> well, by the time this podcast comes out, it could be that the next big, big bombshell have, has dropped and some other super prominent politician or artist is now on the list. But I think this is just something that we'll, we'll continue to think about and maybe talk about on how exactly to relate to those people and to their work. Okay, so before we go, I just want to give a little teaser for next week's episode. There's an event happening tomorrow night. Uh, when this comes out, it's going to be tonight. And the event is called Anti-Semitism and the Struggle for Justice. It's being hosted at the New School. And it's basically a panel talking about how to combat anti-Semitism. I think the most interesting thing that both Uri and I are excited about is that Linda Sarsour is going to be speaking. Yeah. Uh, notoriously <laughs> anti-Israel. She has made very strong statements in the past about how evil Israel is. She, 
takes pains to make it very clear that she believes that being anti-Israel is not the same as being anti-Semitic. And I'm definitely curious to hear what she's going to say tomorrow night. Uh, but I think both Uri and I are very interested in, in what's going to happen, what's yeah. going to go down. I don't want this to be taken the wrong way, but I love Linda Sarsour. Like, I'm obsessed with her. Too late, taken the wrong way. <laughs> and I also in love with Linda Sarsour. I, I keep thinking about this, uh, this YouTube video. I have to yell at you guys. Listen, Linda, that's what I want to say to her. Linda, Linda, listen, honey, Linda, honey, listen, listen. If you don't know, we can put a link in the description, but it's this three-year-old kid talking to, I guess, his mother named Linda. Anyway, I love Linda Sarsour, and I, <laughs> I eagerly await every tweet of hers well, i think it's going to be an interesting event let's yeah, uh, you know what but to be we're fair, trying to go in with an open mind yes, i will say i really am go i'm excited to go and to hear what they have to say but i really am going in with an open mind and on next week's podcast we are going to discuss the event and discuss the broader ideas that the event is about Thank you guys so much for listening. And as always, please send feedback to TalkingTalklessPodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing your thoughts. We're brought to you, as always, by Drive-In Productions. And we'd like to thank, again, Triple Threat Trio featuring Rage Brigade. They're the band that gives us the music at the beginning and the end of the show. Bye. Bye. Bye.